Why do stocks go up? Why do stocks go down? That and common investment mistakes. Little Dr. Seuss there. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions. He's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome, money guy family. It's your host, Brian Preston. This one is exciting. We're going to be covering, we don't talk about investing enough, Bo. Uh, on the show, we talk about it. I feel like you and I talk about it a lot, but I do agree. We have not done like a deep dive in investing. And so obviously, you know, I'm a investments guy. So I'm excited about it. He's a CFA. He's, 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 he's feigning like he's modest, but he's not in the fact that he's a chartered financial analyst. So, you know, that's what most mutual fund managers and people who go deep into the balance sheet and in the investment marketplace, they're CFAs as well. So I'll brag for Bo, but we are, we're going to be talking about what are the three measurable fundamentals that help you understand what's going on with stock valuations, with stock prices. Are you paying too much? Are you, are you getting a great deal? Cause let's face it, in addition to just what the income that comes from your investments, you also want to pay, make sure you're understanding what are you paying for this and why. Um, and then we're going to kind of close out the show with, Talking about common common investment mistakes as well as solutions to make sure you don't fall in some of these common pitfalls that everybody else is doing. Um, make sure you go check out MoneyGuy.com. That is our website. Here's the cool thing about MoneyGuy.com when you go there. It's going to allow you to connect with us on all the social media platforms. It's also going to show you some of our most recent videos. If you haven't gone and checked out what we're doing on YouTube, pretty incredible stuff, as well as our traditional podcast. Right. You know, we, we started this thing doing just audio. We've grown to where we're now adding video. Yep. And um, you've also noticed we've... Every now and then, if you go on Twitter and elsewhere, we'll post pictures of some of the people who've come and visited us. And um, we also have some collaborative stuff that will hopefully be coming up in the coming months as well. And we also just want to say thank you so much to all of you that have gone out there and done the 30-minute-ish financial plan. If you haven't gone to the website and signed up, it is completely free. It's a resource for you guys to have. It probably won't always be free, so go out there. Uh, you guys have done it. You've sent us amazing feedback, and we are actually already working on version 2.0 to implement some of the changes you've made. So if you haven't done it, go check it out, send us feedback, and we just appreciate that so much. So let's go ahead and start working on making the complex simple as well as smart, Bo. So here's the thing is that a lot of us are familiar with investing, right? especially in stocks, which are stocks or equity, mm-hmm. meaning that you're buying a portion of a company. Sure. But does, do people really know what, what drives that price? Are you paying too much? Are you paying too little? There needs to be some education on this. So we want to get into it. And I know you guys are probably saying, okay, is this something you can measure? Cause I know that there's a lot of irrationality sure. in stocks. There's, um, emotions. There's the geopolitics of the world. You know, geopolitical stuff you can't measure. You don't That's know right. when a terrorist attack is going to happen. You don't know when there's going to be potentially peace That's right. in, in Korea, like we've seen happen, yeah. which is, which is awesome. There's also momentum. And then we can't forget. We, we have this whispering in your ear from the media telling you how you should be scared because that helps them sell advertising. So these things, that's not what we're covering today. That's stuff that, that's hard to measure. We want to talk about things that will actually indicators that if you understand this, you'll be able to apply this and know where you stand with your investments, whether it's the stock market or individual securities that you might be looking yeah, at. Yeah, you know, I, I remember my, the very first investments class I ever took. I had my professor, he said, um, you can have a great company with an awful stock, and you can have an awful company with a great stock. Yeah. Ah, that second one's not as true. 
But I really thought that was interesting. I didn't know what he meant. And what we're going to try to help you sort of dive in today is we all have heard of great companies, but now we're going to know are, are those stocks or are those investments great opportunities and how do you know? So here's the three indicators we're going to be covering today and, and kind of walk you through each of these and, and tell you how to understand it. So the first one is the growth in earnings of a company or the marketplace. Okay. Um, the second is the dividend yield. Right. You need to understand what is this stock or this market paying in dividends. And then third, the change in the price to earnings ratio and what that means. is Does that change? Does it tell you that you're getting in at a good time? Does it mean you're getting in an overheated time? Right. We'll walk through understanding what the change in the price to earnings ratio means for you and your investments. Sure. So, Bo, I guess well, let's just go ahead and jump right into the first one, which okay. is the growth in earnings. So, this is one, you've heard us mention price-to-earnings ratio. If you just want to understand that formula, it's it's exactly what it, is. it sounds like. The price this of the stock market or the individual holding right. divided by the earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the key component of that is earnings, and that's the driving factor. I mean, when I'm talking to people and they ask me about the stock market and they ask me, you know, why should I be a stock investor in general? I go through how exciting it is to be alive right now because, sure. and, and there's all kind of quotes I could have pulled down from Steve Jobs, from historically from him, from Warren Buffett, who's a great investor, where we have so much innovation going on out there in the world. If you think about just your iPhones, you think about Teslas, you think about just Google, Amazon passing all the things they've done with their Prime and all the content, Netflix. It is an incredible time to be alive. And and if you looked 20 years ago, all those companies I just mentioned weren't around. They weren't around. And and now they impact every day of our life. So innovation is an incredible thing. Mm -hmm. So investing is not a zero-sum game, meaning that you don't have to think, I'm buying into something and it's got to get it at the perfect time. But it does help if you understand that what drives the economy in general is this capitalistic marketplace. Right. It's the is Adam Smith who wrote Wealth of Nations, which, by the way, if you didn't know, was written within a decade of the founding of this country back in the 1700s. Sure. Um, it's that invisible hand that is making innovation, driving profit, and other things to where earnings are increasing, right. always increasing. So you need to understand... If earnings are increasing, what is this? How does this impact my investments and what's reasonable and how does this play into it? And the hard thing about earnings is that it's really easy to look backwards and kind of see what earnings were last year, but it becomes much more difficult to look forward and determine what are earnings going to be. And so what we try to look at when we think about valuations and look at investing is how has the change in earnings moved? Are earnings increasing or earnings decreasing? Uh, and so that's kind of the, the metric we have to have to look at and assess. And, and opinions vary. So let me give you an example. I'm going to look at right now the stock market. Okay. So we have the S&P 500. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. Let me give you one side of the coin, and then we'll flip the coin over and give you the good and the bad. So okay. the, the bad of the current stock market is, is that profit margins are at an all-time high. It means companies are making really healthy margin on the revenue that they're generating. So how you know? So then the next thing is, the current trajectory of earnings is not sustainable. So it ties into the first thing I said. So if we're at all-time highs on our earnings, how can they keep at this growth right. pace that they've been at for the last few years? Right. So that's the negative. Here's the good for the people who are very bullish on what's going to happen with the financial markets. It says low interest rates. They are still, even though they're moving up a little bit, they are still historically low, no doubt about that. New tax law. 
could be huge for corporations, especially given corporate I mean, tax taking, reform. Taking rates from a corporations from the 30s down to 21%, that's, right. that's, that's a material change. Productivity benefits of technology. You just heard me talk about all the new technology companies and how they're changing our everyday life. They've also increased productivity per employee as well. So those that's the good and the bad. So you can see if you're getting multiple opinions on the exact same market, it's, it's kind of like... You know, that, that whole exercise that you've always heard people talk about where you take a, a group of people and blindfold them and then have them fill an elephant. They're all feeling the exact same elephant, but they're describing different parts of it. You don't get a clear picture of never what's never heard going. of that experiment. You've never heard that? Is that a real experiment? No, yeah. It's, I mean, I've read it. I mean, I've read about it years ago. I couldn't, <laughs> I'm sure I'm screwing up. I probably should have colored them pink or something else. But yeah, you, you have some, you know, there's been discussions where you could have people, even though they're describing the exact same thing, if they're at the different the parts of matters, it or they're looking yeah. at it differently, you're not going to get the same description and not be able to tell. So we need to give you some understanding historically. Sure. What is reasonable? So historically, earnings increase at about 6% a year. That's okay. the historical average, but they range between 3 to 10% okay. if you're looking at it. So what I mean by that is if you have a company, um, you know, you're, if the stock increases earnings by 10%, you can understand that the valuation of the company can also increase by some factor sure. because the earnings have increased. That's right. So that's why you do want to make sure you understand what is going on with earnings. Now, a word of caution about earnings. You've heard us talk about when you're doing any type of investing that usually about 8 out of 10 years or 80% of the time, markets are good. That's right. That, that's a great thing. That's eight out of 10 years. That's, I mean, man, we're at 80%. That's, that's incredible odds. But there are periods when you hit recessions, when you hit bear markets, where you can see earnings actually constrict. That's right. So I, I just want to tell people to be careful because earnings on rare occasions can be negative. So this is not a tree that grows to heaven. You do need to be mindful of what, what is going on with it, with earnings. And that's pretty common sense. If you've ever worked for a business before, you know that your goal next year is to make more money or be more profitable than you were this year. But that doesn't happen forever. There are down years. On the converse side, you can't work for a business that makes less money each year because eventually you run out of money. And so it makes sense that it's sort of the cyclical movement that happens in earnings. Um, I, I want to kind of close out our discussion on earnings so, so we can move on with it. The understanding is because people, this is something, this is a basic investment t thing that you need to understand. When you see announcements come out on, a, on a, the market or a stock, you'll see that they blew the earnings out of the water, but then... The price still goes down 10%. You go, what happened? They, they beat the earnings per share right. by 10%. But right. yet somehow the stock is down 15. What happened? Well, what happens is, is that the stock market is always forward looking. Mm -hmm. It is, it is a few months out or to a year out. So it's not uncommon that you'll see somebody who has Earnings that they beat, but then they give guidance that over the next 12 to 24 months that maybe earnings are not going to be as strong looking forward. Right. And that's what the stock market's paying attention to. So be very aware that you need to be mindful of what's going to happen at the point in the future. The growth of the earnings rate is very important. Sure. Um, let's transition now to the second component, dividend yield. Okay. Um, this one's interesting, Bo, because we've seen some historical changes on sure. this. Um, if you, by the way, let me give you some perspective. If you want to know what is the dividend yield of the S and P five hundred right now, what is a dividend? A dividend is a company 
realize that a company that has profit, they can either keep that profit inside the company to grow the business, Mm -hmm. or they can say, you know what, we want to reward our shareholders, the people that invested in our company, we're going to issue a dividend or a distribution that will go out to all the people who made an investment into our company. So that's what a dividend is. Perfect. It's a basically a payout to your shareholders to give them, I don't want to say thank you because it's not necessarily thank you. There are expectations that you're going to share yeah. the return that you make the, of, of the profit. But the dividend yield on the S&P 500 right now, um, or at the end of 2017, we'll say, because we're a few months past, sure. you know, the, the close of 2017, is 1.85%. So uh, a little under 2%. Is that high, low, where it's supposed to be? I'm going to give you a number. I'm going to answer your question, but I need to give you some, some history after that. Um, the, the historical average is 4.41%. And you said we're at 1.85 as of the close <laughs> so, of last year. So, so you're like, wait a minute. That's half of the historical right, right. average. So I need to tell you the rest of the story. Let me go ahead and give some more historical stats just to give you even more perspective. Is that the all-time low on dividend yield for the S&P 500 is 1.11% in August of 2000. Okay. So that's, um, you know, after we kind of hit the dot-com bubble. Sure. Um, you can imagine when technology stocks were driving the stock market, you probably didn't have a lot of dividend-paying companies in the S&P 500, so that's why the yield was 1.1% at that time. The record high for dividend yields was in 1932. We had to go back a ways, and it was 13.8%. Wow. So here's the rest of the story, because I feel like you need some, some perspective on this, is that because interest rates are so low right now, historically, now they are inching up. Sure. But they are historically ro- low right now. Um, that's put where it's it's attractive to have low dividends because sure. interest rates have been so low. There's no competition there. But then there's also, since really the 70s, people, you know, investors, uh, professional investors, institutional investors have realized, you know, that there's not, there's a lot of tax negatives to dividends. Because, and what, let me explain what I mean by this. Dividends are not tax efficient because not only does the company pay income taxes and then they get to issue the dividend, so the dividend is actually after the company has paid income tax on the money, but then when the investor or the shareholder receives their dividend, they also pay income tax on it. So it's a dividend by the time it gets to your pocketbook, by the time you actually go spend it, it's been taxed two times. It's, double it's a tax. double taxation. So, so companies have realized, oh man, you know, so this is, this is not the most efficient, efficient thing out there. So, happen. so what you see, what you've seen a shift in is that you see companies now buying back their shares instead of issuing dividends. So if, a, if I'm a company and I have a bunch of excess cash sitting in the bank, I can either distribute that to all of my shareholders and send that out. Or I can go out in the open market and start buying my own company stock. Why, why would I, as a company, want to start buying back my own well, company and, and stock? Also, but here's the thing. I always like to t- challenge people to think in a macro sense, too. I told you this all started changing in the 70s mm-hmm. and, and really into the early part of the 80s. What happened in the 80s is we had the personal computer come about. And then after the 80s, you, you start thinking about the Internet boomed in the 90s. And then from the, the, the Internet boom of the 90s, you transition to the mobile society of you know, you get into iPhones, iPods, and all the other mobile devices. Every one of those trends I told you in the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s are all technology-based. Mm-hmm. So if you're a company and you're a technology company that is that is growing your earnings through straight-up innovation, that 
extra dollar is probably more valuable to the company right. because they can either go buy greater technology, they can spend it on research and development versus sending it out there to the shareholder. It's the same thing. It's kind of what you and I have been talking about, sure. Bo. Where is the dollar going to be most efficient and best used? Sure. And since we've had this tilt towards investing towards technology and innovation, that's another reason you've seen a push towards dividends not being paid out right. because dividends also show you the where the the company is in its life cycle. I'll give you a perfect example. Apple um, didn't issue dividends forever. Okay. All of a sudden, they started having all this cash build up because Apple had a lot of big hits with the iPod, transitioned into the iPhones, you know, cash, 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 building up. All of a sudden, you get these advocate investors who start saying, Apple is carrying so much cash and you start that, that they need to out. start giving some of it back in, in goodwill to their shareholders so they kind of fell to the peer pressure and they have now started paying. So that showed me Apple's kind of a matured company now. Sure. You know, it's not, it's still innovating. Don't get me wrong, but it's in its life cycle. It's more of a mature thing. And that's why you get your biggest dividends typically out of blue chips. Sure. You know, banks, financials, things like that. So, um, it, it's important to understand that. Um, I, I do want to give even more per- historical perspective. The, the, if you look at how much of the return by decade comes from dividends, it, let me give you some perspective here. Do, we, do you know what I mean by that? Because we already part? broke down that the return on a stock or the return on investment is broken down sort of out of three components, and one of those components is the dividend yield. Yep. And so historically, how big of a component of return has that piece been? That's the question you're going to answer. And, and you've seen some change, and I think it ties into that macro analysis I just did, that we have a technology-driven market to, in a large part. Historically, from 1930 to into 2016, that's the data I was able to find from Hartford Funds, okay. um, 43% of your return as an investor has come from the dividends. Okay. So you're like, wow, man. That's, that's pretty significant, almost that's, half. That's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, 43%. So I want to get quickly, 60s, it was 44%, 70s, it was 73%, but listen, here's where the change comes in. It ties into what I just told you. Sure. The 1980s was 28%, 1990s was 16%, 2000s was less than 5%, the actual chart says NA for not applicable. Wow. Um, and then the t- in the t- in the, the 10s, um, seems weird to go from the 90s to the 10s, is 18%. And that's oh, wow. kind of where we yeah. are. If you think about the historical return of the market is around 10%. Sure. You know, the return is 18.5 is the 1.85% is the dividend yield. Right. You can see that's, you know, getting close About to 18%. Though, yeah. So it's, um, we're, I don't know that this trend is changing sure. because buybacks are considered more tax efficient, but it is something you need to be aware of because here's why I tell you you need to be aware of dividend yields as well because they do make a big impact on that return since it is close to 20%. And then I, I'll never forget. Um, I had a mutual fund wholesaler come see me. This is probably, this is 10 years ago or so. I mean, right. I, time gets away from me. But they showed me their fund, and they were bragging about the fact that they outperformed the S&P 500. Their fund did 10, and I think it might have even been 20 years. Okay. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. How is that possible? So I went and looked at it and read the fine print, and here's what they were doing. They were stripping out the dividend of the S&P 500 in their calculation over that 10 and 20 year period. They were only looking at the change in prices. Right. 
from a day-to-day basis or a year-to-year basis. We know there's three components to return, and dividend is historically 43% of that return. So that's pretty significant. And probably more in modern times, like 20% of your return. So you can see if you take out dividends, you are hampering the performance by about 20%. So make sure that you're paying attention to dividends. And then here's the last key point that I want to make on this. Since you hear that at least 20% is coming from dividends, Here's something you need to make sure you're doing with your investments if you are in the accumulation stage of your life, meaning when I say accumulation, you're trying to grow your assets for retirement or whatever purpose you have. Make sure you're reinvesting. Yeah, that's a big I mean, it doesn't do any good if you if you have that money pay out on your dividends, that 2% of you, you know, of the return, and then it just goes to cash. That, that if, if you're in the accumulation stage, I understand if somebody who's retired, you might want that yield. But somebody who's in the growth phase, let it be reinvested. Let it keep working for you. Yeah, if you've listened to any of our previous shows where we talk about you know financial habits through the ages or how to have millionaire tendencies, we always talk about one of the biggest assets that you have is compounding interest in time. And we love dollar cost averaging strategies as a means to build wealth and accumulate assets. Well, one of the easiest ways in the world to set up a dollar cost averaging strategy without even meaning to is having your dividends be reinvested, reinvested, agree. reinvested. And so we've talked about sort of the two components of that three-legged stool. Uh, and frankly, they're kind of two that you can't control a whole lot. You really can't control the earnings of a company unless you're involved in the management of that company. You really can't control the dividends that a company is paying out. So what can you control or what things are sort of in your realm when it comes to being an investor? This is the one when 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 we have prospects, when we have clients call us and they want to talk about the stock market, this third component that I'm about to talk about is really what they're asking us for our professional opinion on. And when you ask somebody to read the tea leaves and tell me what you think is going to happen in the financial markets in the coming months and years, you're really asking us to look at the price to earnings ratio and then give you some thoughts on, do you think that it's fairly valued looking forward? Meaning that do you think over the earnings are going to continue to increase over the next 12, 24, or maybe even longer term period, or do you think we're headed for a period of compression where maybe the price-earnings ratio comes down? And that would mean that there's either, you know, huge jump in earnings or that prices of the stock market have kind of been pushed down. Those are the two things that are going to change that price-earnings ratio because, remember, you got price divided by earnings. So it's important for us to kind of look at how do you do this? I mean, how do you know what's reasonable? How do you know where you are? And, and how do you apply this to your own finances? Here's, here's, I want to give you some perspective. Um, if, if you look at the beginning of a 10 year period, cause that's a long term investment horizon. If you take the price to earnings ratio at the beginning and at the end, the price to earnings ratio has increased, mm-hmm. then you've actually, you've, that's added a value to 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 the that's increased your net worth to to the holding. Yeah, essentially, what it's saying is, uh, how much is somebody willing to pay for one dollar of earnings of a company? So, at the beginning of the period, if they were willing to pay ten dollars for that one dollar of earnings, then at the end of it, they're willing to pay twenty. That's grown in value. That's gone up. You've had a positive rate of return. If it moves in the other direction. You've had a negative rate of return. That's the way that the, the it, metric it, works. Typically, so you can see, so if the price earnings ratio was 20, uh, let's, let's use a bigger number. If it was 25 at the beginning of the 10 year, and then at the end of the 10 year, it's at 15, mm-hmm. then you know that even though you might have had great dividends, you might have had great earnings increases, 
the price was coming down and it, it actually it, it, it took away from your total performance for the investment. That's right. But here's a word of caution on that is, is that, you know, I hate for people, this is why if you're, especially if you're a long-term investor, you ride out that five to seven, maybe even 10 year period, like the 2000s. Think about from 2000 all the way to the end of 2009, you hear about people say that's the lost decade. Right. Well, what do we know was the best performance period in the last decade? If you bought in like March of 2009 and rode it all the way now until 20, 2018, you good. have been greatly rewarded because you rode the hard knocks down through the, the, the lost decade of the 2000s, and then you've, you've had a nice pickup right. on, on the price-to-earning ratio. So pay attention to that type of stuff because it will help you on, on knowing and making money. So sure. let's, all, let's take this a little deeper and give you some ratios and numbers okay. of what's going on in the current stock market. Right now, the current price-earnings ratio of the S&P 500 is 24.3. Okay. That's as of the end of April 2018. Yeah, 427, 2018, I think, okay. is when I pulled this. I just went on Morningstar or something and grabbed it. Sure. Um, I did think it was interesting when I pulled this, because we've had a little, little bit of volatility sure. come back into the marketplace in 2018. At the end of 2017, the price-earnings ratio was over 25. So we've already okay, seen yeah, a so little bit of a, a decline, a bit, yeah. and it's because not because of necessarily earnings. Earnings have been good, but because the stock market price, price has come yeah. down a little bit. Um, the mean the is fifteen point seven. Okay. The minimum, meaning the lowest the price earnings ratio of the S and P's ever been, was in December of nineteen seventeen at five point three one percent. Wow, five point three one. Yeah, and then the max, and this is this is a, a create a teachable moment. Was a hundred and twenty three point seven three in May of two thousand nine. Hmm. Now here's why this is a teachable moment. A lot of people, when you hear that the price earnings ratio was a hundred and twenty three point seven three in May of two thousand nine, will go, man, that is an over overpriced, overvalued stock market. I don't want anything to do with it. When I just told you, if you bought in March of 2009 to now, because the dead, drop dead lowest of like the Dow Jones, the mm-hmm. S&P, was about that second week of March of 2009, this number is artificially high. That's right. Because what happened is, is that when you hit a bear market, a, a crush cycle, is that those earnings are, you know, are listed, you know, you've got an old earnings number that trailing, gets compressed. Yeah. It gets tr- it gets compressed down. And then you've got the price that's still higher, but it's been coming down that, that creates a huge variable of like 123. And, you know, and just to give you perspective, on January 1st of 2009, it was 70.91. So you saw, and that's really because price was getting sure. crushed between January and March. It pushed that, that price-to-earnings ratio up to close to 124, right. So that's what I tell people. Here's a key takeaway. You do need to be concerned about price-earning ratios as they creep because the business cycle has been good. Sure. But you need to know where you are in the business cycle so that when you go through a bear market and you see an indicator where things are, are you know, having huge price-earnings ratios, because the same thing, by the way, happened in 2002. I think the the... We, we approached a price earnings ratio close to 50, mm-hmm. um, in 2002, which everybody knows in November of 2002 is when the dot com bubble hit its lowest point. And if you would have bought in that October, November period, 
it'd have been off to the races when right. we hit recovery mode. So if you know where you are in the business cycle, meaning that you're in the bear market and you see these high price earnings ratios, you probably know we're in a contraction and this is when it's the financial opportunity for you. If you think about the financial psychology of the market cycle of emotions, sure. what do we tell people to be worried about? There's two periods, two big things you need to pay attention to in the market cycle of emotions. And I'm doing the, the visual of what that looks like. When you hit the very top at all-time highs, that is your irrational exuberance. Your That's euphoria. where people, euphoria, and people are, are bailing into this thing because they the FOMO, a fear of missing out. Well, that's where you see that price-earnings ratio has creeped up, and that's your maximum financial potential to lose money. That's right. It really is. Now, the the other side is when things get crushed and that market has come down and everybody's like, stock market, that's like a cuss word. You know, people are saying, I can't, capitulation, everybody's like, how could I have been so crazy to even get in the stock market? That's your financial maximum opportunity, but you might look at it and say, well, the price earnings ratio is all high. It's distorted. So that's why you have to be very careful because you said it best, but when we were doing show prep, this is a lagging indicator. I mean, when people are trying to look at that price to earnings ratio, it's somewhat, unless it's future, using future sure. earnings, if you're just looking at last year's earnings or last quarter's earnings, it can be a lagging right. indicator. And remember, I told you the market is thinking 12, 18, 24 months out in the future. That's why when people talk about tax changes or other things, it does have an impact on it. Um, so you got to know where you are in the business cycle. You also need to, to, I wanted to tell you to be an independent thinker. You know, a lot of people, I think um, there's a lot of group think, there's a lot of herd mentality when it comes to investing. And, you know, that's not going to be what, inter, you know, is going to create opportunity. That's not what's going to create you and turn you into a great investor is when you're uneducated and unaware of what's actually driving the financial markets. And then here's the, the last thing before we get into these common investment mistakes, and I'll make sure I give you a chance sure. to, to clean up anything I left off, is know the why of your investment plan. We're, going, we're about to get into these common investment mistakes, and I think that that is a great segue into it. But, but you, being the CFA... And we tried to turn something very complex into three simple, measurable things that people could look at and have an understanding and probably be better than 80% of their peers sure. of at least understanding the, how the analytics of a market works. Did I leave anything off? No, I, I think I think you described it very well because, it, it, frankly, it is complicated. It is mm-hmm. complex. It's difficult to understand. And, and one of my, I don't want to say biggest frustrations because that's negative, is that sometimes people weigh oversimplify it in the wrong area. So somebody might say, hey, guys, I found this stock and it has a 9% dividend yield. I'm going to buy that because I'm yep, locked in. That's exactly right. Uh, I'm going to go buy this stock. It's trading at a 7 price to earnings and it's going to be a great stock. You can't look at any one of those factors in isolation because just like we said, it's a three-legged stool and you have to kind of understand what it is you're buying, especially if you're someone who's going to invest in individual stocks. Even though it is complicated, though, it doesn't have to be because we live in the world where there are really good index funds out there where instead of you deciding is now the right time to, for the price to earnings of Amazon versus Facebook versus Netflix and what's the dividend yield on those and how do I – you can certainly do that. Or if you know that you want to own really big companies here in the United States, the S&P 500 is a great solution for you. So it doesn't have to be complicated, but you also – can't oversimplify it. I think Albert Einstein said this best. He said, everything should be broken down into its simplest form, right. but no simpler. And I feel like a lot of times in investing, people 
go simpler than they should, and and it gets them into trouble. And and you you brought up a good point that I think also brings this all together. When we say the three-legged stool, it means that these three components we just mentioned, the earnings, because they're growing, Mm -hmm. and we've got the dividend yield, and then we've got the change in price-earnings ratio. Those three three things get added together. So if one of them's negative, it does have an impact. So you need to know how those all kind of interrelate with each other. But I do love, Bo, what, what, what you just said there, too, is that I told you that things have changed a lot in the last 20 to 30 years because of innovation. Right. If you are an index-type investor and you just have confidence that we are in better days to come just because of this human desire to ever expand and to ever innovate, if you're buying an index, you don't have to get it right on what's getting pushed off the index. That's right. I mean, because it's just going to happen naturally. It's part of the cycle. So um, pay attention to those things. I think you don't have to be an expert in those three things, but you at least need to understand them so you, you are more equipped to be successful with making good financial decisions for your money. And so now that you kind of understand uh, how to look at investing and how sort of the components work, I think it'd be valuable for us to shift and talk about what are some things that happen that cause people to take their eye off the ball, that cause them to miss it and get out of whack and out of sorts? So we want to kind of go through some of the common investing mistakes uh, that we see people make that you, if you're aware of them, you can uh, probably avoid them and not fall prey to that. And I love, because these have themes. These are simple themes that you're going to see and you're going to hear and you're going to be like, I recognize that. Yeah. I mean, I resemble that is what a few of you might think because... You're like, man, he is talking to me. So that's why I, I want to make you a little uncomfortable, kind of like you might be at church on Sunday and be like, man, I didn't do that right. So I want you to think about it, shifting your seat a little bit, and make sure that you pay attention to the solutions and how not to make these investment sure. mistakes in the future. So the first thing, bad influences. Oh, this is a big one. Here's what, let me tell you, when I say bad influences, what do I mean? I mean... Tips and fads from friends and relatives. I feel like these often happen at cocktail parties, at Christmas parties, at family get-togethers. Well, you know, I have people all the time tell me their greatest wins. Very rarely, I will, now because I'm self-deprecating, I will tell you all my failures if you ever (laughs) ask me, but most people only tell you their wins. They never tell you, they tell you the two wins, not the 12, 15, 33 losses that they had in the past. Um Subject to sales presentations. Uh, the dirty little secret is there's a lot of really good salesmen out there. And unfortunately, really good salesmen don't always have your very best interest at heart. And that steak dinner might taste great, but it might be a very expensive free <laughs> steak dinner. So be careful on those sales presentations that come with a free RSVP to your, your local steakhouse. Um, let the media influence your behavior. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, Brian, I'm trying to think about the last time I turned on the news. And they said, hey, everything's good. Everything's happy. It never happens. Not a lot of bad stuff going on. Go out there and enjoy the sunshine. I just don't feel like I hear that a ton. Remember, human condition is is we remember our losses and the pain much more than we re- reward ourselves with celebrating the good right. stuff. So the media has recognized this, and wh- how do they get paid? They sell advertising, right. so they want to kind of keep those eyeballs looking and hearing and you know doing what they need to. Um, here's another one. Looking solely at past performance, and, and I'm going to give you an old school one because I use this all the time. Everybody used to go to get Money Magazine, Kiplinger's, or other things, and they would have the best performing funds of this year or sure. the best performing stocks of this year. And everybody run out and go grab those funds. And you'd, you'd look back and you'd be like, man, those things just did not do well. They had sure. one good idea. 
in 2007. They had one good idea in 2014. You know, you have to be very careful looking solely at past performance because there's nothing that ties into what we just talked about previously. When we understand the valuation, understand dividend yield, understand yep. earnings. It's much more than just, how did it do last year? Right. They might have gotten lucky. So those are all the bad influences. Th- those are folks that can affect you. What about when we are our own worst enemy? What are some of the things where, where we actually get in our own heads and make the mistakes? So this is lack of discipline. Let's, let's jump into lack of discipline because this is an important one is how about the people that trade too frequently? Yeah, I see a lot of people that, uh, they want to be day traders and they, uh, they stick their big toe into that water for a few days. Uh, and then they kind of, you know, they, they, they learn from that is what I generally see happen. When people find out that we work in the financial world, you know what they typically do? They ask me for stock tips. What's- or they tell me their great trade that they made in Under Armour or Fitbit. Yeah. yeah you know, that's the, that's the thing, which by the way, some those, those haven't been doing well. That's why I say <laughs> I'm to, to, to kind of firmly put my tongue in my cheek, but it's, um, this is what I, I'm telling you. This is what people come to us. And what they don't understand is I, I always kind of, I, I, I smile and I nod, but I'm something like, that's not the way we invest. Yeah. I mean, that's just, I think if you're doing it right, that's kind of amateur when you think that you can just go pick, you know, this great stock and, right. and do it. The next one is timing the market. That's very much a lack of discipline thing. Yeah. Uh, and so even if you're someone, you, you listen, you're like, okay, guys, I got this. I'm into this show. I just went and analyzed the price to earnings ratio for every one of my holdings and man, it's froth and I'm going to cash. <laughs> I'm just going to, uh, I, I appreciate you guys helping. I'm going to cash. You might find that you get yourself in trouble because it's, again, it's not that easy to move in and out of it, you know? And so a lot of folks, we this happen all the time. They try to time it. They try to get really cute with it where a lot of winning the game is just being in the game. Yeah. It, it, I want to take that a little deeper. We didn't have it in the show notes, but you bring up a great point is because we are in a time right now where we see the price earnings ratio of the current financial markets is a little higher than, sure. than the average. The average is around a little over 15%, and here we are at 24%. Sure. You're like, man, I should probably not do anything. The thing is, you might be right that earning price earnings ratio is a little rich right now, but are you sure? And are you sure? That's going to happen in the next month. Are you yeah. sure it's going to happen in the next 24 months? Because that's the thing. These things can roll for months, even years. And it, remember, earnings are increasing in the background. And I also shared with you previously that, you know, markets typically make money eight out of 10 years if you're just looking at the price and the valuation of the markets. So you not only have to be right on when to sell it, you have to be right on when to buy it back. Yeah. And a lot of times you sell, the market doesn't, you're right. But you're not really right because you might have been off by two years. You're too early to the party. So you need to, it's just easier to have a good asset allocation and diversity to, to make sure that you, you can weather whatever storm is coming your way. Um, we kind of jumped out because we're given solutions when we're supposed to be just talking about mistakes. But the next one is start and stop approach. Uh This one ties into the emotional side of things because I've talked about this economic cycle as well as the market emotion cycle that people have. And what I find interesting, when you look at money market rates, meaning the how much people are putting into cash and money markets in relationship to the S&P 500, you quickly realize that we are all scared creatures because you'll see a direct correlation when the stock market's getting its teeth kicked in, cash goes way up. And remember, that's the financial maximum point of opportunity, but people get scared and they go, nope, I'm out. And then guess what happens? 
they miss that V-shape recovery. It takes off. It's off to the rock, you know, off to the races. Right. And then when it gets really high again, they go, you know what? Maybe it's time I gotta to go get a in piece now. Of this. So it's that start and stop approach that crushes your long term. And that's why when you go to the dinner party and you go, stock market, I'm not doing that. That's, that's for suckers. I, I've never made money in the stock market. When I hear that, I'm like, you're a stop and stop, you know, a stop, stop and, and start starter, approach yeah. because anybody who stays in there in the long term, you get rewarded. Right. But it's the people who are scared and getting in and out, they're usually doing it wrong or backwards. Um, we see this one. I talk about it being the quilt of your life. Too many accounts and advisors. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, and we've talked about this on shows, but it's probably been a year. I mean, it's been longer. So we have new listeners all the time. It cracks me up when I look at somebody's old 401ks or an IRA that they have sitting out there, and it will have all the funds that were big in the 90s, yeah. all the funds that were big in the 2000s. I'm be like, man, this is. I can tell what you did in the 90s. I can yep. tell what you did in the 2000s because you had all the best of the best that was in Kiplinger's, what was in Money Magazine, right. and you never changed it. So you need to, you know, work on. Getting simplifying your life. Mm-hmm. Do you have too many accounts? Do you have too many advisors? Pay attention to that type of stuff that falls under lack of discipline. So let's move to the third thing. What you don't know can hurt you. That's a fact, especially I mean, when it comes to investing. I mean, I think a lot of people, you see this with medical, you know, you, it's easier to stick your head in the sand. Yeah. Just pretend I don't know what's going on, but with your money, that is things that are bad only get worse typically. It's not like they go away. Right. I mean, so it's better to go ahead and get an understanding and attack these things so you can make sure you're doing the right things with your financial decision making. So here's the things that you don't know that can hurt you. If you don't understand what you're paying, what the costs are for your investments, it's probably hurting you. So make sure you understand what the costs are. Here's another one. I'm going to pick on my sister-in-law in a good way. She asked me as a courtesy to look at her retirement account, her 401k. I did that. And, it, and it, she was so proud because she had like six different holdings. She would diversify it. She was diversified with these six different holdings. And every one of them, she said, I said, how did, you know, I looked at them and I was like, Ooh, okay, I see something here. I said, how did you choose these funds? She goes, I chose everything that had the word growth in it. I, I want Full my proof. money to grow for retirement. So I chose everything that had growth in the title. And I was like, you realize all six of these funds probably buy the exact same same holdings. They're all closet S&P 500 funds, essentially. So she had no idea that she truly didn't have any diversification because she thought having six different funds with six different names, with six different versions of saying growth, was was giving her diversification. No. So you need to understand that you, what does your investment actually do? Right. It, just because it has a different name or has a different variation of growth, it might be just a closet S&P 500 fund that you're not aware of. Um, unrealistic expectations. Man, this this is a big one. And, and, and by the way, if you're someone who's thinking about hiring an advisor or you work with an advisor, uh, this is something that's really important to advisors. And, and it's so important for us, if you ever consider working with us, one of the very first questions we ask in our questionnaire on the onset is, Hey, what do you consider to be a reasonable rate of return? And sometimes we'll get that back and somebody will say 25% per year. <laughs> and we have to have a very realistic expectation about how markets work. And sometimes people say, you know what? 2008 was so bad, I just want to make 2%, 3% a year. And we have to have a conversation about that as well. But it's important understanding what's realistic when it comes to being an investor. Um, 
I'm going to go deeper than just the investment. I think it's looking at your life as well. In college, I worked as a ramp rat for one of the major airlines, meaning I loaded bags. Okay. Um, at, at Hartsfield, I'll say, I don't think that gets anybody in trouble, but I worked at Hartsfield loading bags on airplanes. And one of the things that I lost a ton of weight, by the way, cause it's really hot in the bottom, <laughs> in the belly of a plane. Um, and there's about, and last thing, and then I'll get on point. There's a lot of dead bodies on airplanes, guys. Should I have not said that? There are. I'm telling you, when you fly, you don't realize how many times we're flying and, and as well as crickets. That feed, you know, we'll move on. Okay. If you're listening to this on an airplane, you're on a flight right now, I just want to apologize on behalf of Brian for just ruining your flight. So, as but, you were, okay, let's Let me get this on. back on point, because I went on a tangent there. The reason I tell you this story is that when I worked at this airline that will remain nameless, headquartered in Atlanta, <laughs> that, um, a lot of the players, when you're working on a plane, you're super busy, but then while you're waiting for the next plane to come in for you to go unload and then load back, you, you, you're sitting in this room that has TVs and other things. I kid you not, every employee that I worked with from the ramp was playing the lottery. I mean, that was a big thing. Every night, everybody was pulling out their lottery tickets. And I was like, guys, this is not a reasonable expectation <laughs> that you're going to win the lottery. And it didn't matter if it was cash three or if we were talking about the mega millions right, or whatever. Right. And I was like, a financial plan is not playing the lottery. <laughs> so that is an unrealistic expectation. So I, I caution you, if you think you're retiring because of the lottery, I think you're more likely to get hit by lightning. But it just be careful. and It just fit nicely into under, understanding unrealistic expectations. One caveat, if you recently won the lottery and you're in need of some financial <laughs> advice, by all means, reach out to us. We'd love to, love to chat with you. I love you. that, Bo. Okay. Next one. We'll kind of close it out and get into some solutions after this one. No overall plan. Yeah, we, we talked about this last week. A lot of folks just kind of let life happen to them. And that's a if If you're failing to plan... You're planning to fail. I always had a teacher. I always hate it when my teacher said that, but well, somehow it just came it, back it, right I mean, now. But it does. I mean, that's what they, that's where these sayings come from is because they have a lot of punch in what they say. And you don't want to be one of these people that just lets life happen. Be the lead actor in your life. Don't sure. be a supporting character. Don't let do nothing or inertia. You know, what amazes, amazes me about a lot of you listeners, the guy, you, you that become prospects, sometimes you, you're brilliant. You, you are brilliant people. But you let your analysis paralysis keep you from doing anything. That's right. So you call us up and you have six figures of cash that's not emergency reserves. It's just cash that you have built up, but you're like, man. I didn't know when to do something. I, I know, know that that stock market's hitting a high, so I decided yeah. I better just sit in cash. And then you're like, oh, but two years has gone by and it keeps going <laughs> higher, and I didn't know what to do. So you had to do nothing inertia killed you. Or uh, seeing people, and this kind of picks on my sister-in-law with the having not having an asset allocation, right. and that not only impacts you from not knowing the investments, but it also protects you from if you do hit some bumps in the road, some turbulence. If we were talking about you know airline terminology, it's um you need asset allocations yeah. go get you through that because that's right. what that that is going to protect you. And then that ties in nicely to being too aggressive or too conservative. I have this discussion. All the time, even with clients, brand new clients that we that have come from the podcasting, you guys are going to listen to this and be like, he's talking about me, is that we have people that have done such a great job of building up assets that when it's time to kind of start building a retirement plan, 
in an asset allocation that supports that retirement plan, I have to talk about risk capacity because just because you've done great with investing, it, when you approach retirement, you do need to start thinking about how do we dial down the risk if we've won the game right. already. And so that's why you've got to have a plan that makes sure you're not too aggressive or too conservative because you can be too aggressive that's even right. if you've been very successful. That's right. Um, because one, the last thing, one of the worst things that can happen to your retirement is having a bad bear market in the first two years. Yeah. That's one of the things we model when we do a full financial independence right. analysis because that is going to be something that can blow it all up and you want to make sure you're very have a plan of action for right. for those type of things. So let's talk about solutions, Bo. All right. This is kind of ties in nicely. Create a plan. Perfect. I love it. Having a plan in place can make all the difference in the word world. All the difference in the word too. You know, it sounds so simple. Create a plan. Mm -hmm. Three words. That's all it is. Three words. You hear that and you're like, that sounds easy. But that's what typically, I mean, it might take 12, 18, 24 months to actually do work on all the components sure. of your life. You know, you got to get an estate plan. You got to get your retirement plan. You got to get your disability insurance. You got to make sure your asset allocation works. You got to make sure you're thinking about the kids. I mean, there's a lot of things. So create a plan. Sounds simple, but there's a lot of components. So Make sure you're paying attention to, to what's going on and you understand. If you didn't know, you there's actually an entire industry and profession out there <laughs> built around helping people create plans around managing their finances. So that's something to, to look into. And if you're not ready to do that, at least do the 30-minute-ish financial plan. That's a great way to start creating your plan. If you don't have it in place, go download the 30-minute-ish financial plan. But all these things that we just talked about are going to help you with the why. Mm -hmm. I mean, we talk about this all the time. The why is so important because it's going to help you understand risk tolerance. Right. It's going to help you understand your goals, your time horizon, because, you know, all these things go in, in, into understanding this vision plan of what your retirement will look like or right. what you're even doing this for. Yeah, so you have to understand all the variables that go into it, your goals, your risk tolerance, time horizon. You have to have a vision for what that looks like. Uh, you have to know what your number is. How do you get where you want to go? That's all part of creating the plan. And then once you've kind of created it, then you need to start simplifying, optimizing, creating efficiencies inside of your financial life. Uh, that might be clearing the clutter. If you haven't listened to that show, we did a great show on what to keep and how to keep it. It might be not leaving orphaned retirement plans out there, bringing them in so you don't have that patchwork quilt of your financial life. Uh, and then, just like you said, Brian, it's about making sure that your entire financial puzzle, your entire financial picture is working together. We talk about this all the time with prospects. If, if you were to go to a symphony or an orchestra. They have all these different instruments. And if all the different instruments are playing off of a different sheet of music with different tempos and different rhythm, then it's just going to sound like a bunch of noise. But if you can get all those various pieces playing off the same sheet of music towards one common goal, it creates something beautiful. And, and that's what you can do in your financial life. And the last point, just kind of to, to, because it ties in nicely to what the whole purpose of even the Money Guy show is, is if you can become an educated consumer. I mean, this whole thing is a passion project to create an education platform for you guys, this abundance cycle where I want you to grow. That we don't, we give it all to you for free with the anticipation that you will grow, that you will, you know, implement and exercise these things. And then when you get to the point of success that you need somebody to look over your shoulder and tell you, hey, do this a little bit differently. Sure. We're there. And, and the big thing about this, and I talked about this to you, Bo, we, we, we had a whole discussion about, Truth speakers versus counterfeits and even the wolves of, you know, there's a reason that they, they did the movie called and they titled it Wolf of Wall yeah. Street. 
I mean, if you look at some of the business practices of those movies that are exemplified in Wall Street, Bowler Room, or Wolf of Wall Street, they, 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 those are takers. They're yeah. not trying to help you build or grow. And, and, and I, you can tell a truth speaker by what is their intent. What's their why? What's the value proposition that creates their motivation? We've just told you, look, we want you to, people to become clients, but our ask is not until you reach a level of success. So go out there, absorb it, take it, and understand, you know, what's going on in your financial life. And then the last point to kind of close it out is that you need to understand how cost and taxes impact your returns. If you're not paying attention to what you're paying for things, don't bury your head in the sand. Be an active participant in your management of your assets. You're going to be much more successful. Um, we feel so blessed that you guys continue to tune in. The growth has been incredible. Yeah. I mean, we continue to hit bigger and bigger numbers. What I like is we're setting up all the cameras, setting up the recording equipment, and then um, you know all the record, recording crew, and we get to celebrate this month because we just finished the month of April. That's right. Another all-time high. Yep. I mean, do you know how fulfilling it is? I know we're in our second decade of doing this, but still reaching all-time highs. If you're not growing, you're dying. So we definitely got the growth thing down, and we thank you guys. You're, you're helping us out tremendously with the comments, with going out there and telling your friends and family about us, and then also the number of you that are going to our contact pages, whether it's AboundWealth.com or the Money Guy Show, MoneyGuy.com, and just going to the contact us and filling out the questionnaire and letting us reach out to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't miss out on our free opportunity to do the 30-minute financial plan, too. So go check it out, MoneyGuy.com. You're missing out if you're not taking advantage of the free stuff. I'm your host, Brian Preston. We'll talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. Brian Preston is a principal with Abound Wealth Management. Abound Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Security and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with the securities laws and regulations. Abound Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. (laughs) 